Hello, I hope you enjoy this recording and consider that in accordance with the Buddhist tradition, my talks are offered entirely without charge and supported by donations only. Please feel invited to stop by dharmapunksnyc.com, that's spelled with an X, to check out a chapter from my book, Unsubscribe, which arrives November 2017. And thank you. Anyway, on to tonight's talk, which is on how to pursue worthy goals and uh, enriching paths that will allow us to grow or make necessary changes in our life. First, unworthy goals, the Buddha defines pretty clearly what he calls the worldly winds that blow us about most of the time, which is chasing after or seeking fame, seeking uh, extravagant wealth, seeking approval, i.e. people-pleasing, and seeking short-term pleasures, being surrounded by things that make us feel good in the short term. All of these have in common that they are notoriously triggering of the dopamine reward system, which is uh, essentially an entire neural process that uh, fixates our attention on accumulating, amassing, achieving things so that we can get attention, approval, or sensual pleasures. Which, and when we're in the hunt, it triggers the release of dopamine, which is, uh, of course, a neurotransmitter that is associated with feelings of power and feelings of security and ease and physical comfort. And unfortunately, the dopamine release is very, very short in terms of its, the length of its rewards, as short as uh, half an hour, one gets that boost of buying something, uh, winning something, uh, having something we post on social media, get a lot of likes, having somebody, what is it, swipe right on us? I don't know. Uh, I think it's being swiped right upon. <laughs> you can tell who's, who's never used any of this. All of these goals of trying to achieve things in the world for, that we can accumulate, like wealth, fame, approval, uh, objects that make us feel good. Um, the one thing about, they also have in common besides dopamine and the fact that the rewards are very transient. And then once they go, the rewards go away, they are replaced with cortisol, and there's stress, which leads us back to hunting more sensual pleasures. But also all of these unworthy goals prioritize not taking interpersonal risks. You can accumulate a lot of money sitting at home alone in a room if you know how to, I guess, invest your money correctly, or you don't ever have to take any interpersonal risk, bond emotionally, be vulnerable with other people. And also, these kinds of unworthy goals naturalize competition, feeling that anybody else's happiness comes at the expense of ours. 
It validates isolation. It validates consumerism. All of these types of goals essentially are about hoarding or amassing. Worthy goals that are associated with slowly building serotonin, which actually lifts our mood, makes us feel at home, makes us feel essentially a sense of well-being and happiness in our lives that's sustainable. Serotonin is sustainable. To release serotonin and to sustain moods require taking interpersonal risks and bonding with others. Uh, when they look at, we look at the baseline happiness studies that were first supervised under Martin Seligman in the 1980s with Sandra Leobomorsky and uh, others, they found that the two biggest factors outside of genetics in human well-being, emotional, ballast, uh, positive moods are one, that you have in your life a group of people that you can be authentic with. You can express whatever emotion or feeling that you're experiencing it without feeling any need to conceal it or change it, perform something else for, somebody, for someone. That you can, if you're sad, you can be sad. If you're anxious, you can be anxious. If you're frustrated or angry or lonely, you can express all those things. To have five people that we can be emotionally authentic with is the most critical factor in human well-being, along with the other factor was people who feel that their work was of benefit to others. And I don't mean theoretically of benefit. I mean you actually see that your work makes other people's lives better. So I met many people in my years as an advertising director who deluded themselves uh, in that field by saying, oh yeah, you know, working in advertising is really helpful because we're getting the word out about products that can make other people's lives better. You know, no, that's, that is not emotionally rewarding. That's called rationalizing. Uh, other important factors in terms of establishing lasting emotional uh, buoyancy are, one, creative expression, being able to express uh, unresolved life events and experiences through art, writing, poetry, song, uh, music, dance. Um, being able to have time to exercise, which of course is extremely important in human uh, emotional well-being. Uh, being able to meet the requisites, which are just having enough to have a shelter, have clothes, have food, have medicine. In the 1990s, Daniel Kahneman did a study where he found that that amount was around $45,000, he said, to, you know, where after that amount there was no appreciable rise in... Uh, feelings of uh, positivity, happiness. Uh, so to meet the requisites in New York today is about three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars $400,000. So don't feel, uh, <laughs> don't feel at all bent out of shape about that. 
So once you meet that meager amount, no, I... <clears throat> so, again, long-term worthy goals involve bonding, connecting, doing things that involve other people where we're beneficial, and um, all of that, in case you haven't guessed by now, involves some degree of risk to set worthy goals of not only connecting with others to find secure partners in romance and to achieve a livelihood that is of benefit to other people involves leaving our comfort zone very often, which might entail degrees of isolation or inauthenticity or performance, and actually engaging in a process where we might actually look bad for a long time, because whenever we take on new endeavors, uh, it's risky, especially when it comes time to career change. We have to go through a period of time where, one, we're not very good at what we do, and two, we don't make a lot of money at it, so there's not that kind of symbolic validation. And so it brings up memories of times in our life when we weren't very good at what we wanted to be good at, where we felt awkward, uh, when we felt a lack of validation. And so, of course, that means making beneficial changes in our life is uh, difficult and challenging, even more so because there's no short-term rewards for it. If you spend your life just trying to uh, please people by writing posts, or if any of us try to do that, that people will like, the rewards on social media will be immediate. You'll get a little bit of dopamine, but that won't have any lasting impact. If we, on the other hand, decide, okay, I'm not creative enough in my life, I've got to go take an improv class, or I want to uh, start performing my songs in public. Please don't. No, I'm, I'm not kidding. Please do that. Uh, uh, all of that involves risk. And risk, interpersonal risk, is the one thing that's hardest of all. So there's two things making it difficult to make substantive life changes. One, it's never rewarded with short-term dopamine rewards. It always is something where there's no short-term reward. It's, there's no instant gratification. It's about long-term rewards. And the Buddha said there are so many fools in the world or so many people who are uh, languishing as well because they don't understand that valuable states of being and livelihood requires putting aside short-term gratifications and doing things that are very difficult and vulnerable. It's understandable why, even though we believe we have free will, why it's so easy for us to become stalled, uh, preoccupied, distracted, diverted, to procrastinate, because we don't have those immediate instant gratifications. And because, let's face it, 
trying to do something new, getting out of our comfort zone, making an important life change into an arena that is unfamiliar involves being awkward and nobody likes to be reminded or re-experience that feeling of not knowing what we're doing, of, of essentially uh, looking awkward in front of other people, looking that we're not fully uh, prepared, put together well, know what we're doing, etc. So there are certain tools, though, that uh, fall under the spiritual domain that are extremely useful in helping us make substantive life changes, especially when it comes to pursuing worthy goals, like changing work to something that is of greater benefit, uh, deciding to go for uh, help in 12-step groups or starting up a spiritual practice or exercising or going to yoga or the work of learning to choose secure partners by taking one's time and going against the uh, patterns that are in us. There's all, there's so many tools available. Um, one tool is cognitive and it's very important to note that self-criticism never helps. Never helps. It is not in any way motivating and it is not in any way a useful guide. Many of us, when we first developed language, in fact, I'd say for all of us, according to the research of Vygotsky, we all developed inner chatter, thinking, from internalizing our, what in psychology we call interjecting, the verbal utterances of our parents. And given the fact that we all have negativity bias and must, much of the languaging that we hear when we're young, our parents screaming, no, don't run across the street, or no, don't throw that out the window, or no, don't, you know, hit your sister, or whatever. Um, so many of the most emotionally laden uh, interactions we experience are negative, or are injunctions, and then on top of it, we're far more, due to negativity bias, likely to remember negative speech than we are positive speech when our parents say, oh, you're wonderful, you can do anything you want, you have so much uh, skills that you can develop, there's nothing that you can't try and achieve, blah, blah, blah. We don't remember those because from a survival standpoint, they don't have the same emotional or the same weight, that negative threatening. Uh, so our minds tend to, when we're in new situations, tend to be prone to self-criticism, self-judgment. The problem is that every study shows that self-criticism, rather than inspiring us to exercise every day or meditate for 10 minutes in the morning if that we're starting out, or motivating us to finally uh, try a support group or a spiritual practice 
or put together a resume for a new job or, sub, or sign up for a new class, um, it doesn't motivate us, self-criticism. It doesn't motivate us to do those things. In fact, what it does is it uh, associates those behaviors with stress. The emotional mind, if we become self-critical, will avoid whatever endeavor we're being self-critical about. So if you're self-critical about, um, I don't know, uh, how much you eat or the fact that we don't uh, practice the piano enough or whatever the fuck, I can't think of enough examples right now, but it, whatever you're self-critical about, you're more likely to avoid that. You're not more likely to do it better or do it more. So any, if you want to motivate yourself for the long term, always be positive. Always practice positive reinforcement. Do not rely on any form of self-criticism. It will only scare you away or make you want to avoid that. Because just as we avoid activities that other people criticize us for, we also avoid the activities that we criticize us for. If you want to make uh, a simple plan, put the thing that you most enjoy doing every day after something that is a difficult but, but important task for you. So put the most favorite thing directly after the thing and tell yourself that the moment you do the thing that's difficult, you get to do the thing that you really like. So when I was writing this book of mine, unsubscribed, coming out November 17th, not that I would ever use a talk for a marketing purpose, but um, I had to write 260 pages when I had never written anything longer than 40 pages in my entire life. And so it seemed like a daunting obstacle. And at first, my mind wanted to put expectations. I have to write 10 pages a day, and if I don't, and so what I decided, though, knowing all the research that I read, because I'm a complete and utter uh, helpless nerd, is that, in fact, a much better approach would be to uh, simply, one, not put any expectations or hurdles or have-to-makes. And no matter how little I wrote, I would reward myself after it so that I only associated writing with positive emotional states and I wrote the 260 pages uh, in about a month and a half, uh, which is pretty fucking fast, um, which shows you how low the quality is. No, it's actually pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> it was really about two, a month and a half to two months I, I churned out by, you know, I knew the material really well because I've been giving these talks for a long time, so I knew what I wanted to say, but it was... Uh, it was a lot of fun because I didn't associate, I never, one, I would write, I would never criticize myself, never reread what I wrote, just churn it out, and then a few days later I'd look and I would just edit it, and then I'd put it aside, and a few days later I'd edit it again, but I'd never, ever allow myself to think anything negative about it. So, um, the next thing is, of course, we want to learn how to develop focused attention. It's very difficult to um, 
proceed in any challenging or risky endeavor when our uh, left cingulate, which provides focused attention, is prone to being distracted. So, of course, having a daily concentration practice with, your, with the breath or listening to sounds is very, very helpful in that it has been shown by Lazar at Harvard to strengthen the cingulate and make it easier to focus on difficult tasks. But also, a study at Oxford showed that keeping the reward in mind, visualizing what the outcome will be. So if you want to become a therapist or a counselor like what I do, and that's important to you, visualize yourself sitting, helping someone, hold in mind the end result, that will inspire you to take the steps um, towards moving towards it. And of course, always break down each process into very, very minuscule, easy to achieve tasks. And after you meet each little part of the task, reward yourself. So those are the co some of the cognitive tools. Um, I'm gonna talk now about some of the emotional practices, which are largely right hemispheric, uh, that are also essential towards achieving long-term goals. As I've noted, uh, any interpersonal risk that we take in life where we're trying to move into an arena in which we are not familiar or polished um, will make us feel inadequate and awkward and that will activate emotional memories of times in our life when we were young and we were new at school and kids made fun of us or we did something that got laughed at in the schoolyard, or when we uh, looked foolish and friends giggled at us, it will always activate really strong negative emotions. And when there are strong negative emotional associations, it will express itself in procrastination, perfectionism, indecision, distraction, and financial insecurity. All of those are very often, well, the first three or four, uh, procrastination, perfectionism, indecision, uh, stalling, are never what they seem. No one is ever, has ever in the history of mankind been a real perfectionist. Perfectionism is simply an attempt to continue uh, keeping something from being seen by others. That's all it is. It's an expression of fear. We might, in our culture, validate directors who forever tinker on their films or writers who forever tinker on their books, but really, it's simply a sign that someone has not yet developed the emotional faith that they can turn over a work and allow it to be seen by others. Procrastination has been labeled as a sign of weakness, of character, but no one actually procrastinates. People simply uh, are distracted because their right hemispheres, their emotional minds, do not want to do whatever it is their left hemispheres have set their sights on doing. So you might want to go to a yoga class, start doing yoga, but if each day you stall and don't get there or, or wait too late to get there, 
It's not because you're weak-willed or because you don't have determination. It's simply because your emotional circuits of the right hemisphere have not bought into going to a class where you might at first look awkward and you will be in weird clothes and have to bend and you might be seen as inflexible. Financial insecurity is a balance of both real and emotional excuses to avoid doing something. Very often people will use financial insecurity, A, it's real that they have debts, but also it can form an emotional way out of taking risks, going back to school again, uh, trying out a new endeavor. So, because emotional circuits don't have thoughts attached to them, all these implicit behaviors don't come with explanatory thoughts. The left hemisphere, when we fall into procrastination, stalling, distraction, uh, perfectionism, gives it those labels, labels it in those negative ways, because the left hemisphere views it as what the fuck's the matter with me? All I want to do is go to a yoga class or go to an AA meeting or go to an Al-Anon meeting or go to Dharma punks or meditate for 10 minutes and I can't do it. There must be something wrong with me. No, it's not that at all. It's simply that the left hemisphere, the goal-seeking, has never bothered to ask and connect with our emotional impulses and get buy-in. When the amygdala associates anything with vulnerability and risk, it creates physical tension. And when we become physically tense in the, in the stomach, in the chest, in the shoulders, in the face, in the, you know, we become tense, it makes it very, very difficult to maintain attention on something that's difficult. The first thing we do is when we're under stress is gravitate towards immediate short-term rewards. Like, ooh, I wonder what's on Amazon deals today. Or, ooh, maybe somebody emailed me or texted me. I'll just check that for a second before I put on my yoga clothes and go. And so if we are not aware of the body and relaxing the body, we become exceptionally susceptible to... Uh, distraction and diversion. So the first tool in working with uh, emotional stalling is to practice before we try to do an endeavor associated with something new or vulnerable is breathe, relax, soften the belly, soften the chest, relax the shoulders, get a nice long out-breath going. If you do that, you will actually switch off the amygdala, which will stop which will put the parasympathetic brakes on the stress response, which will then allow, like you care, the dorsal lateral to focus on tasks that require sustained attention. So that's one key. But the second key is we got to get emotional buy-in. We have to ask the emotional circuits to understand that taking risks in life doesn't always lead to shame or embarrassment or humiliation or to the experiences we had in grade school or when we were new at a new situation. That in adult life, the traumas of looking bad, which were traumatic when we're 
you know, seven years old and other kids laugh at us, it feels like the end of the world because we have no socialization skills, we don't have enough experience, so being laughed at feels like death. So throughout our lives, doing something new where we're awkward and unpolished can feel emotionally like death because it activates those memories. We have to show the emotional mind that failing isn't the end of the world, looking bad isn't the end of the world, and that not everything new we try ends in disaster. This is the Buddha called Yonisa Manasikara, and he said every single situation that um, distracts us has an allure, i.e. something that makes us feel safe. And of course, all procrastination, stalling, perfectionism, the allure is it keeps us from doing something that's scary, new, and risky and involves the possibility of not being very good at Then the Buddha said, all of these distractions have a drawback to them. What's the drawback? Well, they stop us from achieving anything new or you know, bettering ourselves in a direction that we've established might make our lives more fulfilling and meaningful. But the Buddha then finally says that there's always a way out, which is a way to get ourselves to feel safe while at the same time moving forward. Again, that could be something as simple as, one, If you're doing something creative, tell yourself you're not going to show it to anyone while you're doing it. Just do it for yourself. And then afterwards, if you like it, then you can change your mind and show it to people. That's the way I also wrote my book. I didn't. I told myself with each new page, no one's ever going to see this shit. Oh, boy. This is so not going to be seen by anyone. So I can just say anything I want because I'll... No one will look at it, and no one will think I'm incoherent and ungrammatical with poor syntax. Everything I got uh, told to when I was told about when I was in fifth grade. Um, breaking it down into smaller parts, only showing our work to friends who will be supportive, uh, positive rewards. Um, you know, but we most need to show the emotional mind through visualizing actual life experiences that even when we failed in adult life, it didn't kill us, that it didn't ruin us. And we need to show the inner child that not every time we take a risk, it turns out horribly. That's a lot of information. But to help you remember it, I'm now going to lead a meditation where we're going to practice all three of those tools. At some point, I'm going to pop in a throat lozenge because my voice has been wrecked by a lingering sore throat. So closing the eyes and see if you can uh, come to a really comfortable upright position and as a tip from a veteran meditator, (laughs) 
Uh, see if you can find the sensations associated with your ears. If you want, see if you can wiggle your ears so you can find those sensations. And then find the sensations associated with your shoulders. And if you want, you can move up and down your shoulders a bit to find those sensations. And then feel the sensations of the buttocks, the sit bones. So that's, see if you can connect with the ears, shoulders, and buttocks. You can tense the buttocks and then bring them all into alignment. If you're in an alignment where your ears, shoulders, and buttocks are sort of directly vertical or aligned with each other, then you are probably in a good uh, balanced state. And do try to keep your head from slumping over your chest as that will be hard on your neck and it will also uh, make it more likely that you'll be prone to drifting off. So see if as usual, we can land in this moment in time like we've reached a long desired destination. Like you've been traveling for a great deal of time and You finally arrived at that uh, cottage, that beach hut, where there's a hammock or a chair by the ocean, and you put everything down, and you relax, and you reach an emotional state where you have nothing to do, nowhere to go, and there's no one you have to please in any way. You can just absolutely be yourself in this moment. You can just receive with compassion and kindness any emotional state that you're in, any mood. You're right where you want to be. You've arrived. And when we're in such a state, the shoulders begin to drop down, so just allow them to drop down, and our bellies soften, and we don't clench our teeth, and we don't squinch, our eyes too much and we don't have any of the normal physical tension that we carry around with us when we're in that mode of having to get things done. So see if you can Stay in such a 
state of arrival in life in this moment. And one way to do that is to really appreciate something that's happening in the present. And that could be simply appreciating the sensations of the body. Many people that implies the breath, noting that ongoing physical expression of life itself that involves the expansion and contraction of so many different muscles and tendons and bones and just appreciating the body that's keeping us alive, which we so often overlook, the fact that there's this miraculous assemblage of so many different parts that are working together that allow us to have any state of awareness. Or you could appreciate the sounds coming from the world the lights flickering behind closed eyes and the sounds drifting from the street below and from the room. Just hearing the sounds and seeing the lights flickering behind the closed eyelids as if it's a multimedia show, like you've put on a virtual reality headset and you're seeing and hearing, and you're just going to be with those sensations. So in this concentration portion, make sure we practice what we talked about, not adding any judgment, any criticism, any frustration. Just each time you find your mind wanders away into a thought or a memory, just practice positive recognition, reinforcing that this is not easy meditating, that in a culture that rewards consuming images on screens, listening to produce sounds, to be in our unvarnished experience is not easy for us. So every time you drift away or every time you establish any few moments of peace, just reward yourself with feelings of recognition and validation.
So at this point, you can just allow the sensations of the body and the sensations arriving from the world to be still present, but just allow them to no longer be kept in the foreground of attention. And I'd like you to bring to mind a goal, an activity, something that you've been wanting to focus or move towards but has been difficult to proceed due to some form of what you know to be fear or what has seemed to be procrastination or stalling or putting off. It could even be a conversation that you're avoiding that would be helpful. And just visualize the activity and see if you can connect with the underlying emotional aversion, the emotional concern that I might look bad or that this might lead to humiliation or doing this might be greeted with disapproval by people that are important to me or it might involve a challenging conversation or see if you can connect with that without pushing it down, without repressing it, connect with the feeling in the body of discomfort. The expression of the emotional concern that we're not safe if we pursue this goal, even though this goal is important to us and it will make our life maybe even better hopefully better, that still it's frightening. And just connect with that inner child, that feeling of fear that will be rejected, abandoned, not liked, looked foolish. And just be very gentle with it. And while that feeling is present, what we would do is first bring to mind an image of a time in our life as an adult where we didn't look very good and maybe even when people laughed at us or when people who were important didn't acknowledge our efforts or approve or think highly and just show that inner part that's so frightened that we didn't die in fact, we probably weren't even, even thinking about it before we came in, that it no longer has any weight to us. Show that frightened part that being awkward, trying something new today is entirely different than it was when we were younger and vulnerable. The right hemisphere, which contains those all the unresolved painful memories of life, 
doesn't know that those times have passed unless we show it that those times have passed. Until we do, it still believes that being laughed at or being looked at with funny looks is the end of the world. So we have to show those emotional circuits that we can make mistakes and it doesn't matter. Or if you can't think of a time in your life when you made mistakes, think of a friend who tried something new and how even if you might have giggled, it didn't mean that you thought any less of them. See if you can really take the time to show, not tell, but show the emotional mind that we're allowed to be awkward. And then choose a memory of a new skill that we've developed in adult life, which did require learning and not being very good at at first. It could be a creative skill or a work skill or an exercise skill. a movement, practice, anything that we've picked up in adult life that required being awkward at it at first, and just show this frightened part of ourselves that many, many times the end reward for going into the awkward are tools, and practices and capabilities that make us feel really good. So at this time, we're going to just let go of the reflections. Just take a moment to relax the body again, soften the belly, the shoulders. So in this practice, we've covered all of the tools we spoke of tonight practicing positive reinforcement, developing concentration skills.
relaxing the body and of course speaking to the emotional parts of our experience and showing, not telling that life now is much different than it was when we were younger and we were much more vulnerable. So whenever you're ready, you can open your eyes, look around, reconnect. <laughs>